Welcome to Drinking with Authors. I am your host today, Erica Williams. I say that as if I'm not the host every single time, but whatever. It's fine. It's fine. I already started drinking. Um, my co-host today, super excited, is um, Mimi Francis. She's been on the show before, but she's co-hosting. And our guest today is Thea Rodden. I just blew it. Rodemaker. Rodemaker. Oh yeah. my gosh. I was saying it over in my head and I trumped myself up. It's fine. Let's talk about what I've already been drinking today. Uh, is It's really cold here. So I have been down the um, hot toddy route. So I love me a hot toddy. And any excuse when it's cold outside, I'm like, you know, I should have a hot toddy. It'll warm me up. There's nothing like whiskey. Anyway, um, <laughs> Mimi, what are you drinking today? I have root beer with caramel vodka in it. Ooh, oh, yeah. It's so I, good. <laughs> I am absolutely the nerdy girl. Uh, I have my lovely Flint Hills publishing uh, cup that my dear sister-in-law gave me. Um and it has ice water in it. Isn't that ridiculous? I think well, I'm just kind of accidentally doing that dry January thing. I, I um, have water too, if that counts. Like so do yeah, I. I <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I I still and honest to goodness is uh I've got so many deadlines right now, I have to keep a clear head for the rest of the day. So I've got editing to do when we're done here. So Oh, but, yeah. No, I agree. I have deadlines, too. I'm going to see what writing with two hot toddies in your system is going to do. I may have to delete all that later, but we'll see what happens today. It'll be exciting. Sometimes that's the best writing, though, is with a little bit of alcohol in you. Yeah, I, I found that um, I, I call it my bottle of wine writing. About the first two thirds as I'm drinking are good. After that, I pretty much should know by the time I pour the third part of the bottle that it, nah, it's, I'm just making sounds on the page at that point in time. It's yeah, well, I, I, I felt that we're writing about the same things. I spent a lot of my time writing about uh, legal issues for authors. And I can tell you, 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 you need to, you know, be focused when you're dealing with that. I do try to make it a little more interesting, but I need to keep my wits about me when I'm writing about those exciting topics. Very cool. Okay. So I was about to say, so let's, let's go back to your origin story. What got you started in anything having to do with the publishing industry? Cause we're going to tackle, which is really unique on this one. It's not just about your writing, but about what you do for the publishing industry. So where does your origin story start? Well, it does start with writing. Um, Ten years ago, uh, I suggested to my son that he write our neighbor's story uh, because it had been revealed to us that our neighbor, Chris Fulmer, had involved, been involved in a secret mission in World War II, a carpetbagger operation that wasn't even declassified till 1987. He could not read the word about it without you know, being worried that he could get in trouble for that. Um, and my son said something to me that it was one of those like just those searing moments. And he said, no, mom, you need to do it. And I thought, man, I do. So Royce, who had built our home, we had been, you know, he was a dear, dear friend and he had just a part good. Um, and so he was mad. He couldn't work anymore, at, you know, 89 years old. So we sat down on his sofa and I started interviewing him. And that man 
was an incredible storyteller. Uh, so I would interview him about everything and he would, you know, roll his eyes at me because I didn't understand anything about, you know, airplanes or, or you know, secret missions. Uh, and I would then record him, transcribe everything. And then I did the work of, you know, the historical research, put it all together. And his, his storytelling was so great. I just used big chunks of, you know, my, my interviews with him. And as we were working on it, you know, this was when I'm learning about on-demand publishing. And I, I had this vague notion that, you know, there's some software out there, Kindle Direct Publishing, you know, I just have this very big notion about it, but I'm like, I got to get this done because Royce would stumble back, grab his chest and say, we're on a deadline. We got to get this done. And I think, ha, hilarious. Well, um, uh, we did get it done uh, four months before he passed. And a World War II story in Topeka, Kansas, which is where we both lived at the time, uh, is pretty easy sell. So he ended up on the front page of the newspaper. We got invited out to the air refueling wing at Forbes Field. And it was just an absolutely wonderful send-off. He died in January. We had a big celebration for him at my house. And it was just one of those things in my life that was just, you know, kind of perfect. Um, then that February, I thought, wow, I worked really hard on that, and I learned a lot, and I just sat down, and I did what, you know, any good business owner would do. I just made up a website, not knowing what the heck I was doing, and said, I'm going to call it Plinto Publishing, and the dot-com was available. I took that as a sign, and next thing I know, well, 10 years later, a lot of hard work. Um, connecting with some amazing people. I have over 80 books that I've published um, with over 35 authors. So it's been amazing to me the journey that it took. You know, starting out as an attorney, I worked for legal aid. I've done a variety of different things. Now I feel like I've found my true calling. And um, in the past couple of years, it was actually during the pandemic, I, I wrote, I sat down and wrote a little book. Boy, that's hard to write, guys. I was like, this is taking me a lot of time. Um, but I wrote my wee little book, uh, Authors Beware, Arm Yourself with Knowledge and Hope Avoid Legal Pitfalls. And really that has become where my passion lies now, speaking to authors um, about legal issues that I think they all need, every author needs to know about, and some publishing things as well. Because as I'm sure you know, uh, this industry, well, it's fantastic, so many opportunities. Um, there's some, you know, uh, problems there where you could be a little bit taken advantage of. There's some scams going on out there. And oh, the you were you're being gentle in how you're saying that because <laughs> it is very dangerous for authors out there. And I think that's true okay. for almost any artist, but authors, because you, there's the, any logical part of you and there, to me, you know, in general, people are smart They're you know, but, um, I find that authors, you get so excited that somebody is yes. interested in you. Yes. Every bit of logic you may have had is right. gone. It's completely, yes. you know, bye-bye, out the window, gone completely. And then you're willing to sign up for whatever anyone will do because they want your work. And it suddenly right. puts you in a position um, of not being in power when you are in power. It's your art. It's your work. They can't do anything. So I love that you're doing that and that um, you've done the publishing yourself. So you're not just sitting in sort of the cheap seats going, here are things I think are wrong with. Right. I have a lot of messy stories. Yeah. And I think, and I'm, I'm so excited to hear that, you know, you share that concern as well too, because I think you're absolutely right that artists are creative souls. 
I have so many authors tell me, well, I'm not really a business person. I'm like, well, you've got to be one. When you decide to write your book, you have started a business. Um, so you have to be serious about that. You have to find people that you can trust. And I'm amazed at the number of people that don't do any vetting. And it's not that difficult. You know, uh, ask other authors in this pub in a publishing company what their experience has been or read reviews or buy some of the books that your publisher has published to get a sense of it. I know for myself, uh, I tell potential clients, uh, authors, you know, talk to any of my authors that are on my website. And I know I know they do it. So that's I'm, I'm glad to see that people are becoming more proactive because, you know, put so much of your hurt into that work. And then, you know, to be able to sit down and write a book and not know what's going to get published, I don't think that's something I could do. But when I worked on Drop in the Night with Royce, I knew that I was going to get that book out there one way or another. So that gave me the motivation. But to take that leap of faith, not knowing, you know, that, that makes you pretty vulnerable. And it is, you do have to assume that there are many, many scams out there. Yeah, I agree. And I think anybody who writes a book should just assume that they may have to self-publish it. If they don't already decide that to begin with, especially if you want complete control of it, you're going to have to. But that doesn't mean you don't have to still do the steps a publisher would do to publish your book, because we talk about that all the time on this show. Like, just by the way, nobody can edit their own work. I don't care if you're listening right now. Let me yeah, clarify. Yeah. Send me some hate mail yeah. if you yeah. would like to. You cannot yeah. edit your own work. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Correct. You Correct. know. So um, but there are things that you can do. And I think every author should write a book going, it's going to be published regardless of how it gets published. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. if you have the dream to be with a big publisher or a small publisher, whatever, have the dream, but don't let that get in the way of the fact that your book can be published. There's so much education out there now. Right. And like your book is included in that education. And I think it's really interesting doing this show now. We're in our 450th episode or something like that. Yeah. Math. Um, but talking to all the authors that I've talked to over these years, it always fascinates me that they'll put more energy into researching a restaurant that they're going to go eat at than people they allow to participate in their publishing journey. Like yeah. well, some of us just yeah. go to restaurants, but how many of us will look up a Yelp review or Google them or whatever mm -hmm. to see and things like that. And some people go and they submit to publishers and I'm like, did you even look to see what they publish and if they're any good mm -hmm. at it and right. do the titles match? It's like, this is your um, heart and soul potentially and what mm -hmm. you've done there. Go maybe, maybe do at least as much as you do for somebody mm -hmm. who's going to come, you know, fix your toilet. Like they're, <laughs> you know. Good point. Well, and I, I, I totally agree with you that, you know, have that attitude that you can self-publish, but really taking you know, your power back. But also, I would uh, caution you that you still get ripped off when you're doing it yourself. And a couple of things come to mind um, with regard to ISBNs. You know, I def definitely, if you want to purchase your own ISBN, you don't want to get the free one on Amazon because then Amazon is listed as a publisher. You want to go to Boker, B-O-W-K-E-R, and buy your own. Now, there are some websites out there that says, oh, well, let's help you with that difficult problem. It is not hard to set up a Boker account. If you can write a book, you can definitely do that. And you always want to buy the ISBN yourself because that 
you'll be listed as the publisher, or you can come up with a name for your publishing house. Um, if you buy it from a third party, that third party is going to be listed as your publisher. So that would be something I'd caution you about. A second thing is that there's a similar ripoff with copyright registration. It is not difficult to register your copyright. Now, under U.S. law, you don't actually have to technically register to have your intellectual property and have your copyright. You have copyright once you have enough original material that you, you write pen to paper, keystroke to computer. You've got a copyright. But I always encourage people to take the best practices to register that copyright through the U.S. Copyright Office. You'll set up an account. You'll pay your $45. Uh, and then it protects you in case you, if there is a challenge, you can ask for bigger damages, uh, standards of proof are a little bit easier. You can participate in a new court that was set up during the pandemic that's very informal. But don't fall prey to that. Oh, let us help you register your copyright, you silly little author. No, you can do it yourself. No, I agree. And one of the things I think with copyright that I say, because of the changes that were made recently, register it i think it's 65 dollars now actually but oh it got up by 20 it oh, went up shoot. by 20 but but do that oh. because you will have a you know people are like oh you can mail it to yourself and you can do all this stuff and i'm like no that's, that's an urban myth that's absolutely an urban those are urban myths that's not they correct are, they are and if you don't do that you will have no legal ground to stand on and what's goes with this which you may know already but amazon recently did a huge wipe and has been wiping people's mm -hmm. um kdp accounts if they've found mm -hmm. to be in copyright violation and what that mm -hmm. means is another publisher has their work published under them if there's any contention they they just close the accounts that's what they're doing now right. and right. so you don't want your stuff taken and then it technically taken away from you because you don't have proof that you actually copyrighted it. And Amazon doesn't take, oh, I, I, but I, but I have proof of a file date. Like they don't care right. about that. They want to see right. the actual copyright availability. They've got, they're a private company. They get to make what their rules are for us to use their amazing, in my opinion, KDP website. So I, I agree with you there. You know, another issue that that reminds me of is a lot of authors don't know that their uh, copyright is part of their intellectual property that they need to provide for in their estate plan, provide for it in the will. If you don't specifically provide for your copyright in your will, that when you pass, it'll go in that catch-all, or maybe you don't even have a will, so then it would go through intestate, you know, that depends on, you know, the, how property gets passed down, depending on which state you're in. Um, and that's something that I, I often think about. Uh, my own mother was one of my authors. When she passed, you know, I needed to make sure that I could prove that I had, you know, that copyright for her beautiful little children's books that we had published. So that's something I would encourage all authors to do, too, is to make sure they do some estate planning with regard to their copyrights. Oh, that makes sense. And you're even your unpublished work because yeah, um, uh, right. we, we had an author that was part of our publishing company pass away and mm -hmm. he had a bunch of unpublished works. And it's mm -hmm. so like, what do you want done and how do you want it done in your name? If that happens, right. 
if your kids want to go through that graveyard of stories you've been saving and they think they're brilliant because you know <laughs> kids will yeah. think they're brilliant even though you were like this should never see the light of day <laughs> <laughs> so you know clean things up before you know before you you know jump to the other side and you know just you know just can that's another good example of how you have to treat your work as a business because it, it truly is Oh, agreed. Okay, Mimi, what questions? I've been monopolizing <laughs> words. It's fine. I was actually going to ask, is that one of the things that when authors come to you for help that they that they have a lot of questions about is um, stuff like estate planning and things like that? Or is there something else that you tend to, like, is there one specific thing that you help a lot of authors with? Well, I am... Um... As it, I have to be really super careful here because though I, I am an attorney, I don't practice um, publishing law, but I, I get invited, you know, I'll, I educate people. Let's put it that way. Right. And the main thing that I educate people on, it, it seems, is contract provisions. There's a lot of confusion about contracts. So that's the number one thing that I'm asked to do uh, beyond, you know, working, doing my own publishing work is to review contracts for people. Um, there's, you know, it's, there is no legal requirement that there has to even be a contract, but certainly that is, if a, if a company doesn't have a contract and they don't want to put something in writing, then that should be a red flag. And there are many different, you know, that can get very quickly, complicated very quickly. Um, and that's, that's something I, I cover in my book. You know, how can you figure out, is this a fair contract? Does it, cover all of the things that need to be covered. Um, does And particularly with regard to how are you going to get compensated? And that's something that as a publisher, uh, you know, as publishers, we know how much it costs to produce the books, how much, you know, it's going to, we're going to be charged to get the wholesale copies. So we've got inside information. And I like to use that inside information to help educate authors because, you know, my philosophy is there is plenty of... Uh, uh, there's plenty of books to go around. Lots of people have books. There's plenty of work to be done. So I just I think it's best that we all just help each other and share share our own experiences. Very true. So, go ahead. Sorry, Mimi. Oh, no, I was just going to ask. So when you got into um, helping authors with the book that you wrote and everything, did you kind of do that because? of what you went through getting your book published and the things that you learned along the way and you thought, oh, hey, other people might need to know this too. Is that kind of why you wrote the book? Well, they, I wrote I wrote the initial book with Royce because uh, he was just such a dear friend. Um, and uh, it was, it, it's just a project that inspired both of us so much. And then I was amazed to find out how many people in my circle and people who knew people uh, had books? And it was he, it was his project went quite smoothly. It was actually another book that came to me a few months later that made open my eyes to a lot of these scams. And that was a dear a friend of mine uh, who is an author. She actually lives in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, and she had signed a publishing contract with a pretty reputable uh, hybrid house. Uh, they had a huge catalog, over 500 books, and she signed a contract saying, well, we promise that we'll get your ebook out for you, but uh, we reserve the right to get a, to do a physical book, and we reserve that exclusive right for 12 months. 
Well, as we know, it's a much better strategy to have the physical book and the ebook come out at the same time. And frankly, it's not that hard to create an ebook. That's, you know, that's just not that difficult. It, and really, what don't you want to hold that physical book in your hand? I'm, I'm pretty much a physical book girl. But uh, it really irritated me because they had really they had taken terrible advantage of what I bought. And uh, what had happened was the company had sold to another company, so I was able to use a technical uh, legal argument um, to get her out of that second contract. And then I said, you know, I'll do your physical book for you. And that really um, was my first example of seeing a very good author who had just shed so much heart and soul in this project, and she was so upset about it. Um, that was my, that really got me going. And then I started finding all of these other little scenarios with people that I knew who had been taken advantage of. And I thought, oh boy, there's something here. We really need to have, you know, um, educate people about this because this really is, is becoming a serious problem. Yeah. No, I agree. It really is. And, um, so you created this book, you were mentioning, so we're, you know, we're going to do shameless self-promotion at the end, but you're talking about it. Where can authors get their hands on this book? Well, for to get a copy, a free PDF of this book, I'll I'll give it to you if you send me an email at thea at flintillpolishing.com. Uh, I might ask for your email in exchange for that, and then then you'll just be able to download, download the PDF. Um, I'm updating it all the time. The most recent update I made uh, was a chapter on AI, which um, talked about scams. I don't know if, uh, how how you guys, I'd kind of be interested to hear about what you guys feel about um, some of the AI applications in the publishing world, because uh, I definitely have some opinions about that. Well, why don't we do this? we got to take a quick break, and we will come back with the great AI discussion, because I know it's heated, and I have... Me and Mimi both have our opinions. So we will be right back with Drinking with Authors. <laughs> hey, listeners. You know me, Eric Lance. You're just listening to me in the podcast that you have. But guess what? I'm doing something new. Yeah, she's joining me, Mark Muncy, the author of the Erie, Florida book series in Erie, Appalachia. And we are hosting a new podcast called eerie travels Woo-woo, eerie travels which covers things like ghosts cryptids weird stuff ufos men in black all kinds of fun things that people talk about and i'm sure you've discussed with friends yep and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness and of course mark what do we always say We'll see you on the other side. We are about to enter into the heated zone called AI. So I think, you know, it's um, the first thing I want to say, and then I'd love to have you chime in, Mimi, and then Thea, is there is a lot of misunderstanding about what AI is completely. There are so many different parts of AI, that there's a lot of misunderstanding about what it is, because if you know not the creating of books and the creating of covers and stuff, that's a different topic, but AI is how algorithms find you now. It's not people, it's algorithms. So if you want to be linked to something, you do as an author have to understand AI and how to get it to work for you from a social media standpoint. And I always use the example of like, if you wrote a book that's 
based in Scotland and whatever, and you want to reference Outlander and say, you know, this character, Sam, would have been this character in my book and stuff, you can get AI to work for you. So when people search Outlander, they also go, well, people who search Outlander also love this thing, you know, because that's what AI does. If you search hippo pajamas, I just said that my computer heard me, I'm going to get a bunch of ads for hippo pajamas. That's (laughs) There is a degree of understanding it, that part, so that an author can use it. But I'm going to stop there. Mimi, your thoughts on the AI before we go to our legal resident expert here to talk about it? Um, I think AI for an author can be helpful for, for like copy, like marketing stuff. Like you can use it to help you write your marketing copy and things like that. But other than that, I I don't think that as far as the writing process grows, goes, you should rely heavily on AI. And to me, I can spot an AI blurb, so to speak, from a mile away, because there's, I feel like there's certain words that AI is in love with, and they use it a lot. Um, so you see them pop up sometimes in blurbs. And I always look at those and I go, was that written by AI? Just because of the way that it's written. I think especially other authors, we can kind of tell that somebody used AI when they wrote a book or did a blurb or something like that. So, but I think AI has its place in marketing and usefulness, like with metadata and stuff like that to help us market our books. But that's as far as I think author-wise we should go with AI. I agree with you. Thea, what are your yeah. thoughts? Well, I I I'm glad to hear uh that that's what you guys think about it. Uh, because I agree as well. I think when it comes to publishing uh material, uh it's completely different bulking, but it should not be used. And I have there, I've been thinking about this quite a bit, and I think there's a lot of good reasons for it. Um, you know, the question of if an author uh, has the right to copyright AI-generated content is one that is only starting really to be looked at. You know, the U.S. Copyright Office uh, recently said that if something is made by a human, uh, it, that there has to be that human component because there were court cases saying uh, uh, the selfie taken by a monkey or a painting done by an elephant, did that, you know, generate that 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 did not uh was not copyrightable because it wasn't created by a human so is ai you know going to have that same kind of issue um i you if you are going to use ai in your writing which i would not encourage you to do uh the u.s copyright office wants you to be very transparent you know what did you use it for was it for a content generation did you make some images did you actually do the writing so you really need to keep track of that um there is a, a lot of risk for authors to use AI. You know, there's a lot of misinformation. There is a lot of prejudice that's been found, you know, in AI. And the developers, the, the tech people have a name for that. They call it hallucinations. Um, there could also be a problem that you could be subject to copyright infringement in the future. Um, they're probably heard in the news. There have been some big, uh, there was a, a letter signed by 8,000 authors, some who are very well known, who said this is just ripping off our material. It absolutely has to stop. Um, and 
the issues on this are, are not resolved. It take the law a lot longer to catch up with things than technology is able to, to, uh, to move. So uh, there is another new scam too that I wanted to bring to your attention that is uh, within uh, AI. And I don't know if you guys have heard about that, but that's where uh, someone will scrape your book, including your cover, your material, and republish it under a different name. And this has actually happened a little bit, uh, happened to a couple of authors. Um, and it's so new, again, it's kind of unclear uh, what the law is going to say about this, because this is not actually taking your literal, saying exact book, and there are protections to stop that, of course, but this is kind of, you know, scraping and using to regenerate your book with your original book with AI. And that's something I think authors should be on lookout with their own material. And again, um, it's so, so new that it's still um, not, that, you know, not exactly resolved. Now, the final reason I want to encourage authors to not use AI, it, again, has to do with some of the rules that, for instance, KDP uh, has you know, maybe thinking about. Now, have have you guys noticed that now KDP, when you go to publish a book, says, did you use any AI-generated content? And that's very broad, how they put that. Yeah, no, uh, they they absolutely. Because, again, kind of what I brought up before is you can have your stuff taken and it gets published in an anthology, like they take some part of it. But AI looks for exact phrases and stuff like that and there's a percentage of compatibility and they go there are three paragraphs in this that are already published in another book yeah and and if you look at the kdp rules i think i have the language here uh their website stage ai assisted content is when you create the content yourself and use ai-based tools to edit refine error check or otherwise improve the contact content whether text or images using ai to brainstorm ideas falls under assistance so then the question also becomes, if you use a website like Grammarly to check your grammar, Grammarly has AI-assisted content. And then also, uh, when you couple with that, you know, some new movements toward uh, doing some imprinting on images. For example, Google unveiled an invisible permanent watermark that goes on their images. It's called Imagine, uh, Imogen, I guess. Um, it's their latest text-to-image generator, and that watermark is going to remain on that image uh, regardless of any kind of filtering or changing that you do. So my point being that don't lie about this. Don't say, oh, well, you know, I didn't really do that much AI. When KDP is asking you, did you use any AI? You've got to be truthful in telling them about this because my guess would be that they're gathering this information, waiting to see how do these court cases, which are going to probably be resolved in the next year to two years, what's going to happen with all of this. So um, take the high road uh, and make sure you answer that truthfully. Oh, I agree. And then the other thing which we didn't touch on um, is AI audiobooks. Oh, mm, yeah. Yeah. So this is a big push. Google Play is doing a big push. And some authors, you know, look at this and they go, well, this is a way to get my audiobook produced because getting a narrator to do your audiobook can be expensive. It's probably one of the most expensive parts outside of book editing right. um, you can have done for your book. And I know, um, you know, there are several places looked into this, but the amount of 
um, controversy around taking, because this is actually what all these actor strikes and stuff were about, is the ab ability to take people's likeness, to take people's voices, to do all this stuff and utilize it, and um, and not have to have the actual actors there. Now, it's one thing if you license it, but it's completely different if they're just doing it because they have the ability to take your voice and put Erica Lance's voice in a movie, right? Um, which would be cool if anybody wants to do that, but, <laughs> you know, send me a contract. Um, but audiobooks and stuff, and there, I think there is a line because I think the thought that people don't realize is in order for AI to generate anything, it has to have something that it's basing that off of. So the writers that were speaking about it, for instance, and I know Stephen King was one of those authors. There's several of them that were speaking to this point. Neil Gaiman um, was that the AI is taking that work that's already out there and using that to create the story. And the artwork that's out there for artists everywhere, huge controversy over using AI art at all, because in order for it to create that little fairy on that thing, you have to have fairies that it's basing that fairy off of. It, I think that part um, is, and the same is true with the audio, it's very robotic, but they're starting to pull people's voices from things and utilize that. And you go, well, why does this sound like Ben Affleck? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, it's because whatever you put in, the computer went, oh, that's what Ben Affleck sounds like. This audiobook is going to sound like Ben Affleck mm -hmm. now, you know, which is a pretty scary thing. It's different than having the robot, you know, Surrey read it to you. Right. It's generating right. that. So I think that, you know, I'm a big proponent that I don't want. I agree with the marketing. I think there are some things that can really help an author with chat GP and stuff like that to be able to generate content. So out there but that is it that is the line and do not have it help you with your covers do not have it help you because right. again the images what images is it scraping it's scraping google images and stuff like that to get the images to go oh here here's your fairy and little do you know you that little fairy on your book may have those invisible imprints and google advertise it but i can guarantee you they're not the only ones doing it Oh, absolutely not. Right. And that, you know, that raises another issue that's been around longer, which is, and I, this is a mistake I see many, many authors uh, make, and that's not using uh, commercially available, commercially free images that people oftentimes will get lazy. They'll do anything from, you know, a copy of somebody else's Instagram photo and repost it as their own. Um, and they're, it, you'll get caught doing this. There are spiders that crawl through the web that look for these images that are not, you know, commercial free. Um, and you could get a demand letter or, you know, be sued. And so again, that's a question of not being sloppy about using images. You know, if you think of Create Commons, that uh, Pixabay in my book, I list a bunch of different places where you can get, um, you know, material that you can use uh, for commercial purposes. So that kind of goes along with the same kind of good practices we're talking about when it comes to AI. I agree. And one of the things that all of those sites that you mentioned is they'll tell you how frequently that particular picture has been downloaded. Please yeah. pay uh -huh. attention to that because you yeah. can go on um, Amazon, for instance, and see like 400 books that have the same exact yeah. person on yeah. the cover, pretty unmodified. Mm -hmm. And you go, 
cool. So That's my cover. Yeah. He's popular. You know, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I think covers are the hardest dang thing about publishing a book. And uh, I have gotten to the point now where either it's an original photograph, uh, it's original art. And I was intimidated by that at first, but now it's amazing how many fabulous artists are out there that will create cover art for a reasonable price or sometimes as some other kind of barter or an exchange or even with children's books. You know, I love to put uh, children's authors together with emerging artists and they see them work together, each getting credit for the project. So don't be intimidated about just getting out there and finding, you know, original material to use for your original book. Exactly. And, you know, you're investing in what it looks like. I agree with you. I think covers can be really difficult, especially if you do not do your research, because a lot of people are authors get very excited about covers and you got to go. But what is selling? You can be as excited as you want to be. But how do people find your books? Because it's a visual medium. Like people look and go, "I, I that's the type of book I read. You know, and everybody's like, well, like pick it up. You're not going to pick it up if it doesn't look like a book you want to read. Like, judging a book by its cover is a thing. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Even though people say it's not, it is. Everybody judges books by their covers. Yeah, I encourage my authors to go to the library, go to book, better go to the bookstore because you can see there are definitely trends when it comes to covers. And you want your book to look, you know, fresh and modern and uh, you don't want it to have that, you know, self-published or, you know, not not high quality look about it um so that is an area where it's worth investing time and probably some money in that too oh i agree i agree completely great okay um mimi i'm gonna let you ask one final question before we go into the literary briefs portion (laughs) oh my gosh what i had a question and i don't remember what it was now um thank you vodka Um, yeah, the vodka is not helping. Um, if you had to give an author just one piece of advice, just one thing that you would give them as the main piece of advice, what would that be? Um, well, if it's just one piece of advice, and that would probably be, you know, to be uh, your authentic self that steps in circle power. Don't get it intimidated. Um, you know, when I first started my company, I thought, who do I think I am? I I don't have any PhD in English. I'm a I'm a lawyer. How can I do this? Um, but we don't have time for that in the world right now. There's a lot of stuff going on. I'm sure you've noticed. And the world needs to hear a lot. There's a lot of important messages we need to hear. So uh, be brave. Step into your power and write and get it published i love that I love that okay time for literary briefs are you prepared okay, this makes yeah. me a little nervous okay all right <laughs> that's okay i finished my oh i have one more sip of my hot toddy so this is just this is going to be on point i can already tell very <laughs> okay first question what is your favorite book of all time <laughs> my favorite book of all time the uh, one I'm working on to publish at the moment is not so lame. <laughs> That's okay. What is this book? 
Uh, oh, actually, I'm working on five right now. But my most recent book I published, my two most recent books, The Widow Roadmap by Kate Seidman. Uh, it's a beautiful story about her journey from the sudden loss of her beloved husband that she was married to for quite a long time. She's illustrated it. Uh, the first time I read this book, I sobbed. I laughed out loud. I highly recommend it if there's anyone in your life who has lost a significant partner. Uh, my sec oh, my next type for same level book is, you know, because all my authors are, you know, like family now. It's terrible. I have no boundaries. The Geography of the Soul, Dreams, Reality, and the Journey of a Lifetime by Dr. Roy Spitz. Beautiful, beautiful book where he went on Stravage uh, in Europe, life-changing. He's an old hippie. I mean, just... You know, oh, there's no, where is his picture? His headshot. Yeah, really cool guy. Um, so those, those at the moment are my two favorite books. I love that. Very cute how you went about mm -hmm. that. I appreciate it. What about a least favorite book? Least favorite book? Oh, <laughs> uh, one I read this weekend that I will not discuss <laughs> any further. <laughs> I, I, I get a lot of submissions. Wow. Well, so on that topic, uh, do you let them down easy? How honest with you? Because I feel one of the things I don't like in the publishing industry, and I intentionally don't do with um, my publishing company, is not tell the author what is wrong. Like, nicely, but instead of going, nope, we're not interested, going, here is why we're not interested in this particular book, and what you can do to potentially solve that problem. Okay, that's very generous of you, and I, I applaud you for doing that. I do that sometimes, but not always. Um, it really, you know, oftentimes I get a referral from another author or a person I know. So, of course, I will give more attention to that. Sometimes I will, you know, rarely I will even call them if they want to talk to me and answer just any publishing questions. Um, I know there's, I, I hope there's no one that I haven't responded to. Um, one of the things I like to do as soon as I get a submission, I let them know that I, I received it. I'll try to get back as soon as I can. I give them the you know link to the PDF of my of my uh, blog publishing book. So I I do really want to be respectful because I know it's hard to put that put the book out there, and there are many different voices and levels of experience of those voices, and I want to be respectful. To all of them but i think what you're doing giving reasons why is terrific i do that somewhat i think my lawyer brain makes me a little more nervous i don't like to start engaging too much um so i, I try to have a little more boundaries there or i a lot of times i i um will refer them to other um publishers that i know um kansas has a lot of great hybrid publishers and I'm friends with a couple of women and we refer projects back and forth to each other. We think one of us could do a better job and the project would be more appropriate with a different house. No, that's very cool. So um, as a reader though, what is the your pet peeve? Like what throws you out of the story faster than anything? Um, well, it used to be before I was a publisher, if there was a copy edit mistake. And now I go, oh, that makes me feel so much better. The big traditional house made a made a mistake as well. Uh, pet peeves for me, um, I I I'm going to sound like a nerd. I mostly like to read nonfiction, 
um, my uh, husband and, and kids are always, you know, throwing novels to me that I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll read that on vacation. Um, but I, uh, I, I like a book that is goes at a nice clip, nice tight, tight sentence. Um, but it's mostly the topic that will, you know, draw me, draw me in. No, that makes sense, Mimi. Um, question? I'm asking a question. Do you want me to ask? You're a asking question? a question. I, I love this. It's I like, like deep what? into the pool with Mimi this time. <laughs> have alcohol and have it be your first show. Go. Yeah. Go. Here you go. Um, what is your favorite snack, especially when you're writing? <laughs> My favorite snack. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I like going through this transformation because I've had many, many favorite snacks in my <laughs> life. And let's just say uh last fall, I was getting ready to turn 61 years old. My body said, okay, Thea, maybe we need to change the nature of the snacks to not be so salty or sugary. So uh I I munch on walnuts. I don't, but yeah, it's, you know, I, I recently moved to Arizona, so um, my snack right now is sunshine. <laughs> so I will, if I'm stressed out, I will get away from my computer, which I stand at all day. That is the best thing I ever did was about four years ago, I moved to a stand-up desk. The first week I was absolutely exhausted. But now I can't imagine ever going back to sitting down. I was having terrible shoulder aches. So I highly recommend stand-up desk. But I do take the time to get away from my computer and to get outside and recharge. That's just absolutely critical thing. What about if you could travel to any literary universe, where would you go? Uh, the Star Trek panel? Yeah. 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 Oh, oh for sure. Deep Space Nine, totally there in my whole family. <laughs> I love that. I well, what is your favorite character from Deep Space Nine then? Oh my goodness. Now well, I I have a complicated evolution of the board. Love him now. Um and oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm not gonna think of her name. The the door the very Wonderful woman with the short red hair. Oh my gosh, I am so embarrassed. I can't think of her name. That's okay. Oh you're allowed. You're allowed yeah. to. Thank I know you. exactly who you're talking about. The piercings. Yes. Everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Actually, my son for my birthday bought me a little a little video that she gave to me, and it went on for quite a while. It was fabulous. <laughs> Wonderful gift. You so, gotta love cameos. Cameos are amazing gifts. Yeah, yeah, it was wonderful. I can't believe I can't think of her name. Oh, I hope my Andy. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're, that's okay. You're gonna the moment we're done with this, you'll think of it and be like, oh. yeah. <laughs> you know, and not to make excuses, but I've got like five books in my head right now that are just like at various stages <laughs> of, of the birthing process. <laughs> Very cool. So could have lunch with any author alive or dead they'd be alive when you were having lunch because it would be weird otherwise who would you have lunch with You're, she's thinking there's not a horrible pause during this so uh, <laughs> um well i'm looking at her ursula k Le Guin, 
And she died not that long ago in Portland, Oregon. And as and we were taking our son to Lewis and Clark College in Portland. And I said, Paul, gotta reach out to reach out to her. And um, she died uh, I think a few months after he had moved there. So I would probably invite her so with her lunch and, and my four sons as well. And my husband. That's, that'd be that'd be a good lunch. Very sweet, Mimi. So, if you're so you said you're in the middle of five different books, are you writing all those books, or are you? Oh no, publishing. editing and yeah. publishing. Okay, um, yeah, I had yeah, to ask I'm, that. I had to ask that. Yeah, question. Oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> I'm, I I'm always. Yeah, no, I'm always uh, writing. I'm adding more to my law publishing book all the time, um, and. Uh, I I have ideas for several books of my own I want to write in the future, but right now it's about helping other people get their work out into the world. And I'm fortunate I found some wonderful editors who are uh, working with me, and I completely agree, Erica, you have to have other people edit your work. You know, in a traditional house, they would have five to ten people of various levels of editing working with you and many of my authors have come to me they've already worked with a developmental editor but i'm surprised oftentimes when even with that process it still needs some more developmental work um well so you that, should be that's surprised because editors are you again very much like we talked about before get referrals what have they edited before right. Do they yes. understand your genre? Do they understand the story you're trying to say? You know, mm -hmm. because one of the things too, I think, and Mimi's an editor, so she can talk to this point more than I can, because do not let me edit your stuff. I can proofread it. Do not let me edit it though. Um, but I find a lot of times that people, again, don't get good enough referrals and don't find somebody who fits with what they're trying to do. And the flip side, hey, authors out there, you have to tell your editor everything you're trying to do. They need that entire glacier of the story. They can't just have the tip and you hope they figure it out because they need to understand what you're trying to say because a lot of times we are terrible at putting those words on the paper of what we think we're saying. We're brilliant. We have the whole movie in our head. We're like, this is what we're saying. And then they go, is the bleed character a dog? And then you're like, what? <laughs> What do you mean? What do you mean? It's evident. They're blah. And you know, it's not to anyone else. So um Mimi, do you have a, a, a question and then I will ask the final one? Um I'm thinking. I'm not there's not just silence, I promise. Um I don't think I can't think anything. I'm drawing a blank. I'm that is okay. Drawing a blank. Sorry. First show. Okay. So, show. Um, what is the weirdest thing that came up when you first started working on publishing books that really shocked you? Like, you were completely like, what? <laughs> I know there's a long list, but what is the first thing that comes to mind? Um, when... Well, okay. I'll just. I'll just be real, real with you. Hold on a sec. So this little book is actually a compilation of three novels by Joan Sabinski, um, who lives in Arizona. And Joan is a woman that I've worked with. I'm totally coming out now, but it's 2004. We're going to do that. She is uh, 
an incredible psychic uh, channel. Um, and like I said, I've worked with her personally for years. And I also, she was the first author I worked with after Royce because I went to see her and she said, oh, I have an idea for a book. Well, that idea turned into this, uh, this tone. Um, I could not keep up with her with the editing. She uh, wrote it faster than I could edit it. And I was very new then. I was like, oh, just send me a chapter at a time. I, you know, I really, I was just kind of figuring out my process. And I'm like, Joni, what is going on? She's like, well, I'm channeling this book. Though it's just coming out. She was absolutely stuck to the keyboard and it just, she downloaded it. So that's probably the weirdest thing, but the coolest thing. So the Ariana series, it covers a group of misfit college students who are, their psychic abilities are being activated. And guess what? The world's in a mess and they need some help. And I have often said that if people would read the last 50 pages of this book and truly understand it, we would create the world that I think most of us would love to live in. So, yeah, it's the weirdest thing. I, I but like cool. It. I like it. Very, very cool. Okay. Well, shameless self-promotion <laughs> time, my friend. Where can people find you, your publishing house, and all these fabulous books? Well, I'm at Flint Hills Publishing. Dot com and um, my email address is on there. It's Thea T H E A at Lentils Publishing. Shoot me an email. I'll send you a link so you can uh, get the secret link so you get the PDF of Authors Beware. But you know you can also buy a hardback copy of it on Amazon as well. And um, all my authors have uh, their own website page on my book, and it's where. I keep uh, updated on all the things that I'm doing and the activities that are going on with my authors and feel free to check it out. We also do accept submissions. You don't have to have an agent and there's a submissions page that tells you what you need to do um, to submit with us. Wonderful, wonderful. It was so amazing having you on the podcast with us today. Thank you oh, so much for being here. Thank you. It's, it's wonderful to connect with a book woman. I love it. Thank you yes. for having me. Absolutely. Okay. So Mimi, you survived your, your inaugural. I did. You, you did. I'm very proud I of you. I made it through my first episode. Yes. Yes. <laughs> champagne pop. No, I say that the producer is absolutely not going to put a champagne pop in there, but who knows? You surprised me. So with that, everyone listening, this has been Drinking With Authors. Do not forget to like, subscribe, leave reviews. Again, our AI overlords need some acknowledgement that you like our show because that's how it works. Um, and we will see you next time.